Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I'm Jeremy in Utah. And I am Ken in Indiana. Today we are presenting to you our interview with Nate Pickowitz. You may not be familiar with his name. He's a pastor in New England. He's written a few books. He co-wrote a book on the Puritans with Dustin Binge. He's on Twitter. Uh, certainly you've seen a tweet of his here and there. If you are in any kind of uh, Reformed world tweeting, he's all in there. So uh, maybe you've seen his name before. But he's recently written a book about how to eat your Bible. This is an expression taken from the Old Testament, and he encourages the reader of his book to read Scripture in a very planned uh, way so that the the child of God is constantly in the Word of God, learning, growing, being drawn nearer to the Lord who has saved him. So please check out this interview we have for you. You don't want to miss it. Nate is a great guy, a uh, very humble, kind man, and we think that you'll be interested in what he has to say. Your interest will be piqued, hopefully enough to where you buy the book. So on the other side of the music, check out our interview with Nate Pickowitz. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic, it's watered down, it has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. We are pleased to welcome the pastor of Harvest Bible Church, located in his hometown of Gilanton Ironworks, New Hampshire. He is the co-founder of Reformanda Ministries, contributes to Table Talk Magazine, and is the author of several books, including Reviving New England. His most recent book is How to Eat Your Bible, A Simple Approach to Learning and Loving the Word of God. Nate Pickowitz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Nate, that book that we just released, How to Eat Your Bible, can you walk us through the theme of that book and what inspired you to write it? Yeah, so it came, it was born out of my own personal uh, journey with Bible study. I was, uh, I was a new believer going to church, doing all the, the church things, you know, I was serving regularly and giving and I was on the praise band and doing all the things I was supposed to do. But, you know, secretly, I just didn't know the Bible very well. I really struggled in Bible reading and, and Bible knowledge. And it was, a, it was a source of shame. It was a source of, of guilt. You know, I really struggled with that. So in the providence of God, you know, he, he orchestrated some events where I really sort of fell into this reading plan that I, I later adapted into the seven-year reading plan, but really started to, to just read the Bible systematically, um, you know, once a day for, for 30 days and just kind of go book by book. And it just changed everything for me. It was, it was, uh, I don't want to say revolutionary, but, you know, for me, it was, you know, uh, just that, that the Bible was attainable, like it wasn't this big, scary book anymore, that God wanted me to know his word. Uh, he wanted me to study. And the more I was studying and prayerfully studying, the more he was blessing me and, and my relationship with him was growing. And so, you know, fast forward a couple of years after that, 
you know, was uh, in pastoral ministry, trying to encourage other people to, to get into their Bibles. And folks would always ask me for resources. Well, what do I do for a plan? What do I do for this? And all the books that I was finding were either, you know, really bottom shelf, you know, really just not very much information, kind of baseline, uh, or it was like a hermeneutics textbook. And so I, I just, it's been a passion of mine for years to, to write something that's going to be helpful for believers and not to shame them, not to attack them for not reading the Bible, not to berate them, uh, but to encourage them and come alongside them and help them and just walk them through some steps. And so um, the book took several years to kind of get through the process. Uh, I wrote a couple other things in the meantime before getting back to it, but uh, finally was able to release it this year, and I'm really happy I did. So, Yeah, you note in the book the uh, the influence of, of John MacArthur in the midst of that. He was the one that I think recommends this 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 idea of sticking with one book for 30 days at a time. I remember stumbling, stumbling across that that concept when I was in Bible college, and it was helpful for me for a season of my life, and I've recommended that plan to others. Has the book received a, a good reception so far? Yeah, it's only been out for about six weeks, so I mean, so far, so good. I mean, I have gotten positive feedback from people and, uh, you know, folks who've been reading it and recommending it to other people, and you know, I think the I think the proof's going to be in the pudding. I think you know when you fast a couple of years out, you know if if the people who've read the book have actually been able to to take some of these concepts and and use it in their own personal Bible study, then that's when you'll know that it's been effective. But you know, so far, uh, you know, you can't look at the ratings because you know everybody you know rates you differently. But but from the comments that people have responded with, it's been really positive. So uh, you know, really thankful. Like I said, that it's in print. It's been a joy. An article you recently wrote contained in its title that for believers, eating the Bible is our lives' great work. Uh, what argument do you have for the person who neglects personal Bible reading with the view that it focuses too much on individual piety and sees the corporate gathering as sufficient or even complete uh, when it comes to getting a feeding from Scripture? Right. So the metaphor that is used in the scriptures, Jeremiah 15, 16, Ezekiel 3, uh, even David talks about it in Psalm 119. You know, this idea of eating the, the words of scripture, eating, you know, God's word. Uh, I mean, if I'm only if I'm relying only on the corporate gathering, that means I'm getting scripture one time a week for maybe 40 minutes to an hour. Um, I mean, frankly, that's not enough. I mean, if I eat once a week, I'll die. You know, so um, the idea is that, you know, if this really, if we understand if our bibliology is correct, if our doctrine of the scriptures is correct, and the word of God is living and active, and God is actually using this word as a, a real time living uh, a product to communicate truth to us and to change us, then I want to get as much of that as possible. Um, it doesn't mean that I want to neglect you know, uh, the corporate gathering. And I certainly don't want to just kind of have these blinders on and say, okay, it's only what I read and only what I study that matters, because the bottom line is that God has revealed this truth to countless number of people, millions of people. Um, so I would do well to, to listen to the, the counsel and the wisdom of other people when I read the scriptures. You know, I think that's why as a preacher, commentary is helpful, uh, not because it's authoritative, but because it's just insight. You know, it's these are believers who spent hours and months and weeks and you know, in the scriptures, and the Lord is using this word to change them, and so you want to you want to benefit from that. But but if you neglect daily reading and study and meditation of your own, I mean, you're really just depriving your own soul. You know, I think uh, 
it goes even back to, you know, so many believers in years past who have not committed to that. It's usually been because they don't have access to the scriptures. Uh, but as soon as, you know, people get a Bible, it's like that's all they want to do is sit down and read it. So the Lord has blessed uh, the modern church with the printing press. And so now virtually everybody anywhere in the world can get access to the scriptures. And so, you know, we're meant to, uh, to interact with the Bible and to know his word and to be sanctified by his word. So I think both are necessary, but you cannot neglect uh, personal Bible study at all. Have you noticed a, a conversation in the Reformed world specifically moving toward uh, kind of a downplaying of that individual devotion, seeing that individual, and piety is the word that often gets used, is just a—it's so too much focus on the self, and it, and it puffs you up as an individual. Have you heard much of that conversation, and do you feel like— uh, there's a certain antagonism toward the things that you advocate for in this book from that movement. I think it's a red herring. I think, you know, people say, oh, it's all about you puffing yourself up. Look, that's not a Bible thing. That's a that's a Christian thing. You know, I mean, if you're puffing yourself up, no matter what you're doing, you could be reading the Bible, you could be giving to the poor, you know, you could be praying I mean, long prayers like the Pharisees do, you know, anything you do that's prideful is going to be wrong and it's going to bear rotten fruit. So that that's not the issue. Um, I think if anyone, you know, sort of downplays that, there's an ulterior motive behind it because nowhere in Scripture do you find uh, a caution away from Bible reading. The only place I can think of is when Jesus uh, he approaches the Pharisees and he says, you know, you search the Scriptures and you think that in them you have eternal life. But he's talking about that there's something magical in the text. He says, look, I am the, the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, but for us as New Covenant believers, I mean, we are, you know, we access the mind of Christ through his word. I mean, there, there's no distinction. You know, I mean, Jesus embodies his very word. Every time he speaks, it's pure revelation. I think, I think it's a, there's, a, there's a false dilemma there, a false dichotomy there to say that this is this and that is that. I don't really know all of what the motive would be behind making that argument. I have heard some of that, but I mean, frankly, I don't care because most people that I'm ministering to, they don't think that way. They're, most people I minister to, they know they have a Bible in front of them. They want to read it. They just don't know how, or they're frustrated. And so I'm like, I'm not here for the theologues. I'm here to help people who want to read their Bible. That's the whole point of writing the book. Amen. Amen. Now you're, you're a pastor living in New Hampshire, which is one of the least Christian areas of the nation. Yeah, there you got the Boston Red Sox hat on. Uh, But living in a place where evangelicalism seems to have just so little or no cultural influence, how does that shape your approach to ministry and personal growth as a believer? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly provided its challenges. Um, You know, it's funny because I've written extensively about ministry in New England. I've talked about it a lot. And I think, you know, it's very easy to kind of to be in New England and sort of lament the the lack of uh, not even cultural awareness, but even just support. You know, the churches up here are very small. A lot of them are hobbling along just barely. You got a lot of you know single pastors who are exhausted, and uh, there's just it's just very difficult. But truth be told, I mean, ministry anywhere is difficult. Uh, you know, anytime you're going to be doing you know frontline work uh, in doctrinal truth, you're going to struggle. So. I don't think it's any different than anywhere else. But um, at the same time, with a lack of sort of cultural awareness, you go to other places in the country, and there's sort of a there's sort of a, a kudos if you go to church or a kudos mm-hmm. if you own a Bible. Like it's you know a good for you. You know that's sort of culturally acceptable. 
up here, there is zero cultural Christianity. Like if you go to church and someone asks you, you know, what you do on Sunday and you say you go to church, they're, they're like, why, why would you do that? That's weird. You know, <laughs> like it's, mm-hmm. this is not even expected. So in some ways it's frustrating, but in other ways it's actually really good because that means when people are walking through the door or people are showing up at my, at my men's group, um, they're there because they really want to be there. And so what, what I'm finding in our context is that there are a lot of people who are there because they genuinely want truth. They're hungry uh, for the word of God. You know, I don't have any, I've, I'm sort of opposed to the attractional model of church. I mean, I don't have anything uh, that is charming about me. I don't have any kind of skill. I don't do a song and dance. You know, we have a pretty simple setup. So they're not coming because we have, a, we have the best show in town. They're coming because uh, they want truth. They want the Bible. Um, and so that's all we give them. We give them fellowship and we give them the word and that's about all we can afford. <laughs> you know, So, yeah. um, so that, that's the blessing I think is that you do have a people who are, uh, they're committed to that. They want that. And so uh, I want to, I want to provide resources and material to educate people. Everything I'm writing these days is to try to either provide instruction or encouragement to the body of Christ. I want to be useful in that way. So that first goes to my church. And then if it has uh, arms and legs that go outside of the church, that's great. Um, but that's, um, I, I don't think it changes much. It's just, I think you want to focus in uh, when you know that the, that the game, the stakes are so high. I wonder if there's, if there's anything in particular that you've learned from being in the area where you are that maybe you wish some of your Bible Belt friends would understand. Um, beware of denominationalism. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of old dead churches up here, a lot of buildings, a lot of structures. And uh, I'll tell you, you let, you let liberalism, you let uh, leftism into your denomination. You try to compromise with the world and they will eat you alive. And I, I watched this battle going on in some other den- denominations kind of in the, the southern part of the country right now. And it's like they're they're arguing and debating as if there's something to argue and debate. And I so many, I even tweeted this one time and I got I got some backlash for it. And I just I kind of cashed in my chips and walked away. But you know, it's like if you want to know the future of compromise, look up at the Northeast. Like we compromised for 200 years and it totally destroyed our churches. Uh, the culture is so post-Christian. It's not even funny. But all the churches were so weakened and so decimated. You cannot get a faithful minister of God to get up here. It's so many guys struggle to get here, and then they turn around and they just leave again. Uh, or they're just so desperate for help and desperate for resources. It's just, it's very difficult for a lot of people. So, you know, if you want to see a, a diminished church, a weakened church, a struggling church, that's the Northeast, and that's what that's the, the cost of compromise. If you want to fast forward 20 more years and see how bad it really gets, go to the UK right now, yeah. go to Ireland, go to Wales. Then you're going to see the, the, the absolute bottom of what compromise will do. So I, as a New Englander, as a pastor, I keep on telling folks, I'm like, look at New England and pay attention. You know, there's a reason I write books about New England. It's because it's a warning. It's it's a sign. Like you have to, you cannot compromise uh, with, with anything that's not biblical truth. You just cannot. So hmm. be careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, an amazing thought. Yeah, if we look at Europe, who, who wants to be like Europe anyway? Um, we 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 need to avoid that trajectory. And uh, post Christian, I think, is the right label for the New England states here in Utah. I've said that we're pre Christian. There's never been an ev- evangelical influence out here, and so um, there are pockets in the U.S. that have 
a very little gospel influence, and we need to learn from from history. And you're a good man for that. Uh, and you also mentioned your Twitter account. You are a prolific tweeter, uh, <laughs> and uh, perhaps it's gotten you in trouble a few times uh, by some of the things that you say. <laughs> um, but it's a fun Twitter account to follow for everyone out there. You can follow Nate on on Twitter. And last September, you tweeted out when your most recent child was born. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. And you announced that his middle name is MacArthur. <laughs> oh, that's and, right. <laughs> and, and I've noticed that your church is a e-free church, an evangelical free church. Your doctrinal statement's premillennial. Your plan that's in how to eat your Bible is seven years. You got to be dispensational, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so... Uh... <laughs> yeah, so this is a theological podcast, so we're going to hit that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the the way I look at it— You're in good it, company if you admit to it, okay? Sure. So no, okay. but no, I, I want to say it—I want to be fair to it, because and I used to really identify as a card-carrying dispensationalist, but as I've examined the claims of classic dispensationalism, I really can't—I really can't stand behind it. You know, I, there's a lot that's good in there. There's a lot that I—you know, I read, you know— um, uh, Schaefer and, and Schofield, and I'm like, okay, I see what they're talking about, but there's just there's there's just connections that they make, places that they go. I just don't think are correct. Um, so I am premillennial in my in my eschatology. I'm reformed in my soteriology. So I believed in, a, in the doctrines of grace wholeheartedly. Um, but in terms of you know hermeneutically, when I when I see is there a future for the nation of Israel? I think there is. Um, I think that God is working a certain program out, so I would kind of lean more that way. But I, I guess if you were to label it, I'm probably closer to a progressive dispensationalist. Um, I don't know. I was reading a survey of all the different brands of eschatology now, and I don't know. There's probably two or three that I kind of fall into, but um, you know, very similar to what Master's Seminary and a lot of those folks are. You know, John calls himself a leaky dispensationalist, and it's I don't know. I mean, I haven't really camped out as much. I'm in a post-Christian area. I'm trying to, just trying to get the gospel out there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, I see, you know, the points of the, of the other two positions, the main positions, but I just tend to land on on the pre-mill camp. It's just where I'm at. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And uh, I wear my progressive dispensational underwear on the outside. So I'm there with you. <laughs> well, you <laughs> are in Utah. I, so wearing yeah. underwear on the outside is a very popular <laughs> thing, apparently. <from> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I, I heard you preach on John fourteen three, and uh, yeah, you, so you're, you're the one you're in our camp. You're the one who downloaded that sermon, so I, I knew there was one click at least. So that's good. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's great. Now, I don't know your your background, uh, how you were raised, and, and things of that nature. But has your theological tradition shaped your approach to re- reading the Bible, personal devotions, as they're often called, um, and really what? is at the heart of how to eat your Bible. Has that theological tradition shaped your understanding of those things? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if it has. I know that my theology has changed over the years. I was, you know, raised, well, I was first raised in kind of a, probably a semi-reformed church. I don't even know if they know that they're reformed. That's the issue with Mm -hmm. New England is that all the labels don't really mean anything because nobody knows what they're talking about. Like if you use certain buzzwords, people will panic because they're afraid of it, but they don't know what it is. So if I walk into some of these churches and I, I use this terminology, most people won't, they won't identify, you know? Um, so, but, you know, growing up, I mean, we all, I always went to Bible churches with my family. So we valued the scriptures. I knew the Bible was good. I knew that I was supposed to be reading it. I went through a season of time when I was in my uh, teens and twenties where I walked away from the Lord, whether or not that was uh 
uh, simply uh, false Christianity and then I got saved when I was in my 20s or whether or not I just fell away for a season. I don't really know. Um, but I know that my theology has changed. I, and I know that my, my focus in on the doctrine of Scripture has intensified. My conviction on not just um, the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture, but also the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. I don't think that we've ever seen a time when the sufficiency of Scripture has come all the way to the fore. We've needed it so badly because there's so many other voices vying for that place of authority. So I would say that, I'm not really answering the question, but I would say that my, my convictions have deepened as I've grown as a believer, and I've just seen more and more, especially not having the Scriptures for so long, needing it more so now and recognizing that God's truth is ultimate truth. Like there is no comparison. It's not even close. So I think people need to know that. They need to know that this is not just a word of God. It is the word of God and it's authoritative. So so uh, just shifting directions a little bit, uh, talk about another one of your books that you wrote. Um, it's been, this fall will mark the five-year anniversary of the release of Reviving New England, right. the key to revitalizing post-Christian America. And I'm just curious about five years later, do you see the principles in that book that continue to be true? Is there anything that you would say needs to be added or adjusted since the release of that book? Yeah, so that book was kind of a manifesto. It was really just kind of a, of a hodgepodge of ideas and things I was studying it really, it just it was the way forward in my mind for New England, and and all it is. I don't know if you guys have read the book, but it's basically just bis- biblical principles. I mean, you really could take out the first chapter, change the title, and really apply it to anywhere in America. I mean, it's things like preaching and discipleship and repentance and community and very simple things that that I know that churches need to have. But then I set it in the context of where I am. So um, I would say that in five years, I've seen. God has been working, I think, in more ways. I've seen more pastors coming into the area, more churches being planted. You know, I'll meet somebody and they'll say, oh, I'm in this town. And I'm like, oh, well, how long have you been there? You know, because I'm like, I've never heard of you before, you know. And, oh, we planted three years ago. I'm like, wow, that's awesome, you know. So it seems as though there's more going on now up here than there was five years ago. Um, but I don't know if the, if if things have, if the book has helped it in any way. I know that I've made a lot more connections having written the book uh, one thing I was afraid of, because uh, I was only a couple years into ministry when I wrote it, I was afraid that I was going to write this manifesto about New England, and every single pastor in New England who read it was going to tear me to shreds and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But to my to my uh, happiness, um, every pastor that I've talked to that's read the book has actually responded positively, and they've said things like, you know, uh, that's what I've been saying for years, or that's what I've wanted to say for years. And I had a pastor 30 years up here said, yeah, I, I agree with that. That's what I've been saying to my people. I'm like, well, praise God. So it ended up being that all I was doing was echoing, you know, the faithful voice that had already been here and just tried to amplify it as much as possible. So the principles for revival are the same no matter where you are. It's just we need them even more up here. So um, that's kind of the big thing in my mind. One thing that I've heard, I, 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 it's in my mind, so I guess I've heard it somewhere, and perhaps you can direct me if uh, this is accurate or not. It seems like people who go to New England to plant or go up to New England to start some sort of a ministry and exert some sort of a gospel influence up there, if they aren't from that area, they're really going to have a hard time. Uh, have you seen that play out in New England? Uh, I mean, you're you're a New England guy, and yeah. so you know the the lingo, you know the accents, and all that. Um, 
someone from, like I'm from Missouri, if I were to shoot up to New Hampshire, would it be a lot harder for a guy like me? Is it, is it really that big of a cultural thing there? Well, as a Cardinals fan, it's impossible. So you'd have <laughs> to you'd, you'd have to get. I'm serious. I mean, like I wear this. I've been wearing this since I was 16 years old. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, New Englanders are funny. You know, I mean, they're great people. Um, I've heard it said that you know, New Englanders that there's an inner shell and an outer shell. And for New Englanders, the outer shell is harder to break through. But once you do, the inner the inner shell is a lot softer. Versus other places where you know, in the South, you know, sort of the, the warm and welcoming outer mm. shell is very easy to get through, but then to get deeper is more difficult. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. how true that is, but I, I think there's something to it. Um, you know, I think it, it, it does present another challenge. Um, I think up here, I mean, people are, um, people are people, but I think for the most part, culturally up here, I mean, we're self-made people. Uh, we're resilient. I mean, the winters are cold. I mean, it's, it's a tough life on some, in some seasons. Um, you've got a lot of really self-reliant, self-willed people. Um, they, they're they're slow to trust up front. So I was told early on uh, to not expect to be doing much at least for ten years. Like people won't trust you at least for ten years. And I'm mm-hmm. from I'm planted in the town I'm raised in. So um, I think that's been partly true. But I think that you know when you're talking about Christianity, I mean the gospel and and biblical faithfulness that transcends all culture. So if you come and you're faithful to scripture, now, you, you know, you say you come in and, you know, you're a Cardinals fan or worse, uh, you know, I mean, but you say, I've, I've got the scriptures, I've got truth, I've got the word of God, and you minister faithfully, you know, people will eventually, you know, come around to that. I think the, the problem that guys run into when they try to come up here to do ministry, and, and I don't mean to disparage anybody because we need as much help as we can possibly get, but I think that guys who come here with kind of the idea that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to turn things around. I'm going to go plant a church and it's going to set the world on fire. And they give themselves like a three-year window to do it. It's just not enough time. Like it, mm-hmm. it just takes longer. Mm-hmm. It takes longer to build, you know, yeah. there, it's not a, it's not like in the city where you can have a, a mega church in, you know, five years. It just doesn't work like that. You know, it, it's, it's smaller, it's slower. It's just different. So I, I think guys, I've seen guys come up here, get frustrated the first time they shoveled snow, they just lose their mind. I mean, it's just, it's difficult if you're not used to that. And I think you, you just have to be here for the long haul. Hmm. Just a quick little anecdote. I was talking to a, a pastor who, who just moved here from somewhere else a couple of years ago. He's doing great. You know, he, he's, he's a good brother. And we were chit-chatting back and forth. And I said, can I give you one piece of advice? He said, absolutely. I said, don't leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said, you have to stay. If you leave, then it's all for nothing. And you've just left. But I said, if you stay, you have to outstay the people who are opposing you right now. If you stay, then after a certain amount of time, the faithful around you, they'll they'll gather around and they will not let you go. You will be their guy forever and they'll, they'll love you and they'll listen to you because you bring truth. So I just said, don't leave, just stay, you know, and if, for whatever that's worth, I think that's probably the right way to go. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of that sounds like Utah. Uh, there's a lot of overlap, uh, including yeah. the snow part. Yeah. Um, and thinking about your local ministry there and, and tying back in the book, the How to Eat Your Bible, uh, in your ministry there at Harvest Bible Church, you have preached through John in recent years, and you're going through Matthew right now on Sunday mornings, and so you're getting a lot of Jesus's teachings uh, as he walked on the earth during his earthly ministry. What has stood out to you about Jesus's view of Scripture, and what encouragement do you have directly from our Lord regarding our personal devotion to scripture. 
Well, I mean, even in, you know, in Matthew 5, you know, just kind of looking at it, uh, I just want to make sure I quote this correctly here. In Matthew 5, 17, when Jesus, I mean, he's basically asked hypothetically, you know, whether or not he's come to abolish. And he says, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So Jesus upheld scripture. There's this divide, this sort of arbitrary argument right now that, you know, that to, to focus on scripture or to focus on the word of God, that you could somehow be guilt, guilty of bibliolatry, you know, mm-hmm. of, of elevating the Bible and worshiping a book versus worshiping and, and, and being in fellowship with the living Christ, that somehow those, those two things, I, not to say thing, but, but those two uh, entities are somehow incongruent. J.I. Packer destroys that in his book, uh, Fundamentalism and the Word of God. But, but to say that, that, um, that you can you know, read the scriptures and somehow be guilty of idolatry, then, then you'd have to accuse Jesus of the same thing because he upholds the scriptures to the highest place. Um, you, you know, you read Second Peter chapter one, and the disciples, you know, Peter's talking about their experience on, on the mountains, you know, beholding this majestic vision. And he says, but we have a, a more sure word, a more fully confirmed. And he's talking about the word of God, you know. So I, I think it's a I think it's a false dichotomy. And I think that when you look at how Jesus, you know, upholds his own word, um, I mean, it's it's vested with his authority. You know, so it goes back to the authority and the sufficiency again. Um, but just kind of a note about about the Gospels. You know, I think I've preached through. Uh, I think we're nine books of the Bible through so far expositionally. And I remember when I finished the Gospel of John. Uh, I, I think our people grew more, uh, not through my preaching, but I think they grew more through a, a weekly, consistent exposition of the life of Jesus. John did more for our church than I think any other book of the Bible, which is really great. I mean, we needed that at that time. And I'll never forget, I've told this story before, but this, this lady from our church, you know, she, she had this very backhanded compliment. And she, she came up to me after service one day and, and she says, I want to tell you something, Pastor. And she says, you know, you're not my favorite preacher. And I said, oh. And she says, you know, my last pastor, he was my favorite preacher. And she starts talking about how her last pastor was so wonderful. And I'm I'm thinking, why are you telling me this, you know? Yeah. And uh, and then she says, but she says, I have grown to love Jesus more being at this church. And we were in Ma- at the uh, Gospel of John at that time. I've grown to love Jesus more in this church. So thank you for your ministry. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, praise God. Like, you know, she was encountering Jesus by reading the scriptures. And that was what was changing her. Mm-hmm. And then my preaching, she could take it or leave it. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, the truth of scripture. I've gotten that one too. <laughs> oh, it's great, isn't it? And, but, you know, you know what they're saying. And so you can't, you're yeah. not upset about it because you're like, yeah, I get it. You know, but, but, you know, they're, they're trying to express to you, you know, spiritual realities, you know, they're, they're changing and they're growing and they just want yes. you to know about it. And it's so good. It w- and she's so sweet. Like she's the sweetest thing in the world, you know, but uh, it was just a funny conversation. But the, 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 the takeaway was that she was growing by being in John. And that's really important, you know, so. Amen. Well, Nate, what, what parting encouragement do you have for our listeners, leaders, lay people in the local church as it pertains just to living out their unity in Christ, growing deeply in the scriptures? What parting encouragement do you have? Yeah, I would say just devote yourself to the Word of God. Um, you know, Jesus promises in John 17 that it's the Word of God that sanctifies. We're sanctified by the truth. Um, and so, I mean, the, the reason I wrote this book and the reason I want to write anything is to, to encourage believers, to encourage people to, to grow in their faith. But, um, you know, I would say if, if there are people who are 
they're listening to this and they're and they're struggling in their personal reading, you know, if they're if they're struggling, if they if they feel ashamed or somehow downtrodden because of it, they're not getting as much as much as they want to get. I would say the first thing you could do uh, would be to to stop what you're doing and go to God directly and just pray and and confess your heart to Him. And if you don't love the Word of God, tell Him that. It's not like He doesn't already know, but just tell Him, Lord, I don't love Your Word as much as I should. Uh, I don't love you as much as I should. And then say, Lord, forgive me and help me. If you pray that earnestly and seek the Lord, um, you know, Jesus says, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So if if God, if you see, uh, if God sees that you're thirsting and hungering for his word, he's going to help you because this is one of the things that he commands that he wants. He wants us to know his word. So I would say if you're, if you're struggling, be encouraged. Uh, there are resources available, whether it's a book I've written or anything else that's this helpful to you. But get into Scripture, get into God's Word, and just pray through that process. And God is faithful; He gives us the resources that we need uh, to understand Him. So don't be don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because God wants you to know Him. Amen. Nate Pickowitz, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys very much. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.